Today's scripture reading comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 44. And all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and all the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God, and thank you, Barbara. Um, they devoted themselves to four things. The earliest followers of Jesus Christ devoted themselves, it says, to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. We're talking about spiritual disciplines or means of grace. And what we heard today from Barbara, these were the first four, the earliest Christian practices of the disciples of Jesus Christ. These practices are on the Mount Rushmore of what we are to do and to be. Teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and the prayers. And notice it says in Acts that they devoted themselves to it. This was not a hobby. This was something they truly devoted themselves to. You know how they say football is a religion in the South, right? Um, they devoted themselves to that like good Southerners devote themselves to college football, right? Time, energy, practice. See, devotion, the definition of devotion is a very loving, loyal, or, or, or being enthusiastic about an activity or a purpose, and they devoted themselves, it says, to fellowship. Now, what is fellowship? Fellowship is one of those very churchy words that you've heard all your life, right? You know, the um, youth group's going to be in where, what hall at the church? The fellowship hall, that's right. Fellowship is about casseroles, and you can't have fellowship without banana pudding, right? Or at least a good, you know... Good, I read an article one time by um, Robert St. John in the uh, Clarion Ledger. He talked about their fellowship suppers over at Main Street when he was a child. There was a woman that everybody, all the members of the church knew that she had about 32 cats in her house. And so when everybody brought their casserole dishes, everybody kept their eye on that woman. I don't, now, don't be wondering who that might be. This was a long time ago. But anyway... So when she put it down, Robert St. John said, that's how you could tell who the visitors were because they were the ones that dug into her fellowship, right? But that is not what we're talking about. We're talking about biblical fellowship. We're talking about a word that is so important, that is so crucial to the livelihood and the vitality of our church. We're talking about the Greek word that's used here. It's called koinonia. And koinonia is... Well, it's kind of like Clint and Phyllis after 60 years, Koinonia, right? You share your lives together, the good and the bad. You're there for that person through thick and thin. You know things about that person. They know things about you. And you share all things in common with that person. This was the kind of biblical Koinonia. And maybe that's why when people join our church, they make a... They make a vow, almost like a wedding vow, right in front of everybody, right there out in public. 
that I will be loyal to Christ Church and support Parkway Heights with my prayers, my presence, my gifts. My, my prayers, my presence, my gifts. What else? Help me, Susan. Service and witness. That's right. I'm sorry. Service is very important. Quanania. Quanania. A loving devotion. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to this new family because they found a new center. This reading out of Acts 2 immediately follows what we call Pentecost. The rushing of the mighty wind. The gift of the Holy Spirit to the church. So a very natural offspring, a manifestation of this was because of their new center in the love of Christ, they would love one another. They would experience quinonia with each other. But there are pulls in our world that pull us away from genuine quinonia. Robert Putnam wrote a book called Bowling Alone about 15 years ago. He did about 500,000 interviews with all kinds of people And he drew on this evidence to make a few claims about what our society was becoming. He said, out of those 500,000 interviews that he discovered, that we sign fewer petitions, belong to fewer organizations that meet, we know our neighbors less, we meet with less friends frequently, and we even socialize with our families less often. We're even bowling alone, he said. People bowl more than ever but they're bowling alone. More Americans are bowling alone than ever before, but they're not bowling in leagues. Putnam shows how changes in work and family and structure and age um, show that we are, to a very frightening degree, walking away from any kind of koinonia as well as the church. What he does say, though, is that we need to recapture this sense of community and not doing all things alone. The idolatry of being a rugged individual, lone ranger spirituality. I can do it myself. I don't need your help. Even there's a religious form of that. I can do it with God. I don't need your help. But what Putnam says is that if we can regain our sense of koinonia, there are some other observations that he found in his book. One is that joining And participating in a group cuts in half your odds of dying next year. Isn't that reason enough to be a part of a group? I think so. But we live as a Lone Ranger people. And why is that? Why is that? We live in an iPhone world. Don't you think? And isn't it interesting that we call it the iPhone, right? See, because we belong to another trinity called me, myself, and I. And it's pulling us away. And you can see it all around you. Now, I'm not trying to make the iPhone, you know, the the culprit here. Really, our staring at iPhones, I think, is more of a symptom of our brokenness and loneliness than it is. I think every age, every kind of people have have had their sort of iPhone, but we have ours. And I I think that just, that that definitely is, uh, is a symptom Faith has, in our culture, become a very private thing. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and it was a man talking about self-defense. He said there's a story, and there's video evidence on a bus that there was a man who was mugging people on the bus. He talked about self... He said, look, if you want to get into self-defense, the first thing you need to do is just be aware of your surroundings. That's the best thing you can possibly do, better than any, any weapon you could ever get. But he said, just to prove how vulnerable we are, he showed a videotape 
of people, and there was a guy mugging people on the bus, and the, and the guy mugged seven people before anybody even noticed that there was anything wrong going on. In isolation, we are less mindful. We're less ready to give ourselves for others. We're less trusting, and we're lonely. Loneliness has become an epidemic. In some research, an article, it says to have and to hold, it says that we now spend more time looking at our phone than we do with our partner. The average user spends about two hours a day on their phone, and that's probably not a whole lot. Maybe for me. I don't know. I'd have to think about that. And the time we spend with our other halves, our better halves per day is 97 minutes. So I drive my car. I, um, I pull into my garage. I close the garage door, and I go in. I start to get in my kitchen, but I'm hanging out with Alexa. Do you know who Alexa is, right? It's like a hockey puck that you can talk to, and that's kind of cool. So Alexa, hey, you know, she's nice. Um, But I realize that I myself can be susceptible to the idol of the self-trinity, the me, myself, and I. It's just, just me. And I can make it sound religious. It's just me and God. Scott McKnight, from his book One Faith, says this. He says, somewhere along the line, kingdom became a personal spirituality, and Sunday gatherings became services. Somewhere along the line, our church became a place where individuals could gather at services for one hour to feed their precious souls. Somewhere along the line, we converted Jesus' kingdom dream to a personal spirituality dream. Somewhere along the line, the kingdom ceased to be a society and became only a spirituality. The impact is devastating for a generation that needs fellowship more than any generation in history. But when we have Jesus at our center, something else can pull us back to the center. And look, I understand it. I understand why we all tend to keep our faith private. Because there are so many terrible examples to what it means to bring your faith out in public. I was on Southern's campus not too long ago, and there's one guy that stands there with the bullhorn. Uh, You Southern students, Southern Miss students probably know exactly what I'm talking about. And you walk there, and he just shouts out and calls out people and makes assumptions about every person that goes by him. And evidently, he believes everybody's going to hell. You know, that's, and I guess he thinks that's good news. But anyway, they're walking by, and he's just humiliating people. And so we see that, and we cringe, and and we don't want to share our faith, and, and we, we don't want to share somebody with somebody what we believe, but I want you to know, don't let that discourage you. This world needs good examples of that, and good examples of sharing our faith is not about holding a bullhorn or trying to argue somebody down to some disagreement. Keeping, uh, allowing your faith to go public is to just to share what God has done in your life and to wish it for others. Going public in your faith is to say, can I pray for you? Or maybe, can we give you a prayer shawl to remind you that we're praying for you? Or maybe saying, I don't know all the answers. I know you're going through a terrible time, but I know one thing. I love you and God does too. And we'll get through this together. You don't have to be alone. That is getting, that's getting our, our faith out of solitary confinement. It's getting our faith out of the earbuds and the iPhones and into the world where it was meant, where it was meant to be, where it was meant to be. So what is your faith like? How are you sharing? How much of your spiritual life has become privatized? 
And are you living your life together with others? Are you following Christ with anyone else? If not, why? And if not, who might you follow Christ with? Basically, here at Parkway Heights, I hope and I have the faith that we are following Jesus. Simply, we're following Him together and we're sharing our faith with one another every time we gather for worship. We are wired to share and do life with each other. That's what church is all about. That's what quantity is all about. And that's what the spiritual discipline of fellowship is all about. Deep, deep fellowship. The more I think about it, the more I realize that every profound revelation I've ever gotten in my life was shared with somebody. Even if I, even if I did, uh, experienced something alone, it was the act of sharing it with someone that made it come to life, come to fruition. And so we've got to get it out. John Wesley, of course, is the founder of our movement. 300 years ago, he was in England. And one strike against him, the country of England, what he was doing was he saw this very dead church and they went through the motions on Sunday and they weren't really getting to know each other and they weren't sharing their faith with these poor coal miners who were kind of worth, in, in their minds, worth, worth, worth less than, than, the, than, the, than the folks in high society in England. So he began to start groups and communities together and, and their accusation against him was this. You are destroying our koinonia. You are destroying our fellowship. And John Wesley's response was, how in the world can you destroy something that does not exist? And that made him really mad, I'll tell you that. But he continued to do what he did because the great, I don't know, the great, the great genius of the Wesleyan movement uh, then and now, I think, is that it draws people together. That none of us can do it alone. None of us can do it without each other. And that's how we practice fellowship. John Wesley always capitalized F in the word fellowship. Because to him it wasn't a noun, it was a verb. How do you fellowship together and how are we doing that? American Methodism did the same thing. As this movement went across the frontiers, our country grew. People were so isolated um, and yeah, creation may have been beautiful and people love the deer and the antelope where they play and all that kind of good stuff. But the Methodism realized that people needed each other, that we need to create community because without that, how can our faith grow and how can it spring forth? Jesus said, you can't hide your faith under a, bushel, uh, a, a bushel, right? Hide it under, under a bush, bushel? No, right? It's what we teach our children very early. So... How can fellowship become a very real and vibrant practice here at Parkway Heights? A couple things. I ask you to do the little things when you're gathered with a community of believers. Do the little things to make this place conducive to koinonia. I've got the 10-foot rule and the 2-foot rule. Do you all know what those two things are? The 10-foot rule is this. If anybody you don't know is within 10 feet of you, you say hi to them and acknowledge their existence. People will come to our church and they'll come to other churches. And the saddest thing that could possibly happen for someone who's de-churched, been wounded by the church, or doesn't quite know what, what, what's happening, what's going on, is they can walk in a church and worship and walk out and nobody said a word to them. How many of you has that happened to in your lifetime? And how did it make you feel? It made you feel that tall. 
But we have to realize that people are coming, searching in our church and other churches for a very important reason. They're starving for community in a very isolated world. Ten-foot rule. Two-minute rule. This is another good one. The two-minute rule is this. Two minutes after the church ends, don't speak to people you know the best. Look for people you don't know that well. Ignore your best friends for two minutes to reach out to those you don't know as well. Y'all, if we did that, I promise you, people would get impacted by the experience of being loved and acknowledged. They would feel a touch from God. It's that important. Small groups and Sunday school classes. Here's something you can do. Rediscover the power of invitation. Not, we'll talk about it a little bit next week, but one thing we realize is, is that you can experience fellowship in a large group but your faith really takes off when you find a family, a smaller group to share your faith with, right? So if you're in a Sunday school class, don't just invite somebody to Sunday school. Grab their hand and say, let me take you to my Sunday school. Just because your Sunday school door is unlocked doesn't necessarily mean you're an open group for others to join in. So take somebody to church. Grab their hand. Do that, and we'll see results. Connect with someone. Here's another great way to do it. The art of spirituality and the art of, of fellowship. That is, connect with somebody between Sundays. Follow up or call somebody you hadn't seen in a while. Call someone and check in with them if you hear them in our prayer, uh, in our prayer moments. Do that. And just like the brain that needs to be connected and, and to increase its connections, our church, again, will begin to, to connect in ways that we never dreamed of just for those simple things. For the people that you know well, don't just talk about the ball game. Every now and then, with people that you trust and people that you've built up a relationship with, share with them what is really going on in your life and ask them to pray for you and offer to pray for others here. It's another great way. For the people in your house, for koinonia in your household, Try to designate a little bit of time. Play cards. Play a board game. Play Scrabble. Do anything, something that forces us to get our tablets, our phones, and our screens down. Now, the, uh, have you ever, I mean, uh, the other day I was feeling real self-righteous. I, I saw everybody in my family looking at their phones. I was like, y'all are just, y'all are not living. And I forgot somebody, I forgot what somebody, uh, I forgot who, but it was a few months ago, but Somebody reminded me that I was watching television. Like I thought maybe that's not a big deal. You know, it's, the same, it's just a bigger screen, right? But find things to do in your family that you have to turn everything off and rediscover each other and why you love each other and the bond you have and your koinonia will increase. Let me finish by saying this, though. I have visited nine houses, right? House fellowships. And it's about worn me out, but it's been awesome too. Every home has been phenomenal. Food's been good, and we've had great conversations. And one of the things that I love that I've heard over and over again was really koinonia, fellowship. The people that came to those talked about the people in their small groups, about the people that have stepped up in their lives when things fell apart and fragmented, or the times when they were able to reach out to someone else. And I could just feel the temperature of the room in a great way go up. Yes, that is what it means because we all know that that is the heart of it. So I want to affirm what we're doing. I just want to 
Remind us that we can always grow and deepen that and, we, and that we need to. We're not perfect. I know it. What church is. But I can tell you this. I've seen the flame of fellowship and family here. And my prayer is that we continue to do that. And just know when you practice it and you see it, you're making the best argument for the love of God in Jesus Christ that you ever can. You're arguing, arguing when we fellowship. You're making a beautiful, loving debate that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is above us, is with us, and is within us, working through our friendships. So don't settle for some shallow, private spirituality. Devote yourselves, which means... We've got to work hard at this, brothers and sisters. We've got to continue to work hard and give ourselves to this because we will lose it in a heartbeat if we don't. That's what John Wesley would say. I know that's what Jesus says, that we are called to be in community. We are called to be in community. And when that happens, a counter-argument to all the isolation in the world, it's like a candle is lit and people discover what fellowship and the power of it is. There was a guy who died about four years ago and was one of my mentors. I, I never knew him. Um, you know, there's people you read about and you admire and you just love. His name was Fred Craddock. He was a Disciples of Christ pastor. Fred stood about five, foot, five, five feet, five inches tall. And he was the most mesmerizing preacher that I ever heard. I can remember my, after my first uh, year of seminary, going off to that student appointment, I grabbed all these cassette tapes of Fred Craddock, and I drove from Durham to Cape Hatteras, 13-hour, I mean a 12-hour drive, and I listened to every one of those sermons, and I was mesmerized by it. I learned a little bit more about him that this great storyteller and this amazing person. You can Google his sermons. I promise you, do yourself a favor and listen to one of his sermons. They're just like no other. I've ever, he preaches like nobody else I've ever heard. He had an alcoholic father who was very abusive to him and to his mother. It was a rough, rough household he lived in. He and his mother um, uh, would go to school. They would scoot off to revive, go, go to church. They would worship. And every time it was like, are you coming with us? No, I'm not coming. All they want is another member and another pledge. That's all church is about. Y'all can go ahead, but I'm not going with you. Every day, Fred and his mom would walk away. When the pastor would come by for visits and knock on doors, the pastor would say, I'm checking on y'all. Y'all doing all right? What you need, pastor? Pledge is low. Trying to raise money. Is that what this is all about? And the pastor would scamper off, and Fred and his mom would be so embarrassed. One day, and I think this was in the early 30s, Fred responded to the call to go into full-time ministry and to preach the gospel. When he shared it with his father and his mother, his father didn't say a word, and he walked out. He never got a, I'm proud of you, son. I'm so glad. It took courage. I'm on your side. Year after year, year after year, Fred labored in the ministries without the blessing of his father. Another pledge, another member, that's all you want. All you want is raise money. That's all this is about. Fred said his father kept saying that until he got a, a call. He was in another part of the country and his father was dying. 
He was down to 73 pounds. So Fred hopped on a plane, flew in to where the hospital was, and he leaned over and told his dad he loved him and that he would miss him. His mom was there in the corner. When Fred Craddock walked in that hospital room, there were flowers. He noticed beside the bed there was a stack of cards from the church that was 20 inches high. Fred leaned over and his dad pointed at the flowers. His dad pointed at the cards. And then his dad looked at his son and he said, he quoted Shakespeare, but he could barely talk. But one of the last things he said was a quote from Shakespeare, and it was this. In this harsh world, draw your breath in pain to tell my story. Fred was so close to his dad, and he got so exhausted to hear that, and he couldn't quite understand what he, tell my story. What is your story, Dad? And his dad got a Kleenex box because he couldn't talk anymore. And he wrote three words. I was wrong. Tell them I was wrong. And Fred said, even though I had already been ordained, that was my ordination that day. And fellowship and koinonia is the way that we are going to share with the world that there is a better and more beautiful way to live our lives, and that is together loving one another in our brokenness. We too, through fellowship, are called to do what Fred was asked to do by his dad. Tell the world I'm wrong. So may we love others as Christ has loved us and realize it is a means of grace May we be devoted like we are to our football teams about making this place a place where love can be found, where cards and shawls and flowers and words give witness to God who loved the world so much that he gave his only son. Let us pray. O God of fellowship, you are three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That, and you created us for fellowship and community. You created us to love one another. And God, it's so simple and it's so easy to overlook. But help us, O Lord, in this day like they did years ago. Help us, O God, to be devoted to fellowship as a means of grace. Help us to do the little things and the big things so that others might know of your love and your grace through our fellowship. Through Christ who makes it all possible, we pray. Amen.